The fluorescent bulbs in the bathroom of the Doubletree Hotel gave the tattoos scrawled across Joey Torres's sinewy boxer's frame a sickly green hue, exactly the color of the frozen peas the prison cafeteria mutts served him nearly every goddamn day. He stared at the permanent graffiti scrawled across his bantamweight torso in the mirror and thought back to the jailhouse artists who pricked his skin with makeshift tattoo needles and filled the bleeding holes with black ink. He was so numb then he barely felt the pain. Twenty-three years. Twenty-three fucking years. As his manager bound his warped knuckles with yellow wraps, Torres sucked in sharp breaths and exhaled forcefully, trying to get rid of the anxiety, the panic that rose every time he thought about the time lost, decades as faded and blurred as the ink on his body. He pulled on his gloves and hurtled punches at the mirror, murky with splattered toothpaste stains. Each jab thrown with such force, it was as if the rapid-fire thrusts would pound down the memory of that night in 1979, when his life ended. The night he shot a man dead in a gas station parking lot, a murder he still contends was committed in self-defense against an abusive boxing manager during a cocaine-fueled fury. The facts, eventually, would catch up to him. His story of self-defense would unravel. But, right now, the man who grew up with the nickname Boxer had a fight to think about. He continued to throw punches at his past. When the careful flailing finally stopped, he wiped at the sweat collected on his face, jumped from foot to foot, and turned his stare to his manager, Sean Gibbons. You sure this is going to work? Torres asked Gibbons, a rising star at top rank, the nation's largest boxing promotion company, a sports racket rivaled only by Don King Productions. Top rank was promoting Torres's first fight since he was released from prison, a card at Anaheim Pond in California featuring the ex-con and a virtual unknown, Perry Williams. The April 27, 2002 bout had sold out the stadium weeks before, but his managers did not seem all that concerned that Torres was overweight, taking medication for highly contagious hepatitis C, and very close to legally blind. They're going to take my blood. Find it. The hepatitis. Torres spat, thinking about the medical records California prison officials collected on him, documents citing his severe neurological problem, impaired vision, hepatitis, and liver disorders. I can't even see. My vision is shot. No one is going to let me take this fight. Not to worry, Gibbons said reassuringly. I'll take the tests for you. Anyway, it's all taken care of. The fight is fixed. You can't lose. It would not be the first time Gibbons orchestrated a victory before the opponents even stepped into the ring. Over the years, his boxers, top ranks carefully picked talent, seemed to have extraordinary winning streaks. A grin crossed Torres's face. Fuck the past. He was 41 years old, a free man. Joey Torres was about to make a comeback. And, in the process, he had made a deal. A deal that would ensure that he would never land behind bars again. As Gibbons talked about fixing the fight, Torres was not the only one listening. By then, 
The ex-con was at the center of a federal undercover investigation aimed at cleaning up an industry so notorious for its scandals that 50 years ago, boxing writer Jimmy Cannon termed it the Red Light District of Sports. Every word being uttered in the shabby hotel room that afternoon was recorded and entered into evidence as part of Operation Matchbook, the name the secret investigation was given by the FBI in early 2002. Law enforcement sources told Stuff Magazine that the FBI case was sparked by pressure from former presidential hopeful Arizona Senator John McCain.